0: On today's Locked on Bama, we're going to go over a couple of guys on Jimmy Stein's countdown. We're also going to have a little fun because we're going to have a flashback to a Michigan State game and uh, maybe some message board history. All that today on Locked on Bama.
1: You are Locked on Bama, your daily podcast on the Alabama Crimson Tide, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day.
0: Hey, everybody, welcome back into Locked on Bama Luke Robinson. That's me, Jimmy Stein. That's him, Jimmy. This episode is brought to everybody by Bird Dogs because we love Bird Dogs literal Bird Dogs, but also <laughs> Bird Dogs, the clothing apparel brand. I just got an email from them. They're starting to sell polos now, and uh, I'm gonna get me a handful of those mothers too. But, uh, Jimmy, I think where we start today is on your countdown with Mr. Monkel Goodwine. Uh, it sounds, that's a name that sounds like it belongs in game of thrones, but, um, I'm going to put his picture up now. He is a, a, an intimidating looking dude. Um, and, um, you know, he was a five-star. He was a guy, a lot of people thought may contribute a little bit more last year. He only played in one game, I think last year, uh, against Auburn, ironically, oddly, but, um, I suspect we'll see him on the field a lot more this
1: year. And tell us about him. I think we'll certainly see him more. He's a good example of uh, the depth of the roster. I mean, when you're talking about uh, that defensive line group, you know, it's not stocked with stars. I think we could stand to get a little better there in terms of the front line talent. Uh, but the overall depth is incredible. There's 15 defensive linemen on scholarship. Uh, that's quite a few. Uh, you're only going to play six or seven guys at the most. I'm not sure Montell is yet in that top six group, that top seven group, uh, but he's awfully close to it. Uh, I, I think he'll be in some pretty heated competition to get into that group. And if he falls just short, then he becomes, I think, one of the, Best players on the team who doesn't play, and I know that's not a label that any kid on the team wants to have necessarily. But at Nick Saban's Alabama, it's a pretty big deal, and I, I think it's a fun discussion every year: who's the best player on the team that that doesn't play with the with the first with the first rotation? And uh, Monkel, I think he's going to be a strong candidate for that type title this year because he is a good player. He had an interesting spring. He did spend a lot of time with the ones during the spring, but we had guys hurt and out. And and, um, he's probably was playing with the ones largely due to that. Uh, Thought he did okay on A-Day. Again, this is a good player for a lineman. He's still fairly young. Uh, We're heading into his third year in the program. I think for him, in terms of is he ever going to be a significant player to Alabama, I think next spring sort of the do or die time for him because uh, next spring we'll have players moving on. Uh, you know, uh, Tim Smith, you know he, he's 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 likely to move on to the NFL. We know Justin Nafobe will be moving on to the NFL for sure. Uh, you know, and, and then we got some guys that might might clear out with fifteen guys on that defensive line., uh, that would not be a surprising spot to see some guys portal out in December who are just looking for snaps. Hopefully, one of them won't be Montel because he he's he's got such significant upside. He's also a great kid, natural leader. Uh, I think Montel's going to be a good player at Alabama. I really do. I'm just not sure we'll see a ton of him this fall except in end-of-game situation.
0: Yeah, but if you don't see a ton of him this fall, I mean, it's two years. I think that's the shelf life for people before they get in the portal now. I mean, that would be the norm. I mean, look, I'm not saying it can happen, but if – and, again, I see a lot of positives. You know, everybody wants to talk about, well, they're not getting any playing time. And they're. I, I see some positives to people staying at Bama, Georgia, Ohio State, maybe even LSU, something like that, and still practicing against the best, even if you don't get your playing time until later on, because you are, you're getting ready for the pros versus going to, I don't know, uh, Michigan State, who we'll talk about later, becoming uh, a little bit more of a household name, but you're not as developed.
1: Right, right. I think that's ultimately one of the sell jobs Alabama's going to have. And if at the end of the year he's lost his patience and wants to play, hopefully it's a situation where Alabama can show him, hey, with the Boyd move, I mean, you were one spot short of moving into the rotation, and the Boyd moving on, uh, Tim Smith is moving on, such and such portal portaling out. So so you're in. You're in now. You know, hope, Hopefully that'll be – Kind of the, the sales job in because I do think he's he's a good player. There, it's Nick Saban's Alabama. We have players that don't play every week who are good players. There's just better players ahead of them or older players. You know, maybe Michael Goodwin is going to prove to be a better player than some of the guys who are playing right now. Down the road, it's a developmental sport, developmental position, particularly at the defensive line where kids have to get bigger and stronger before they play every week.
0: Yeah, I'm really. I'm pulling for him. I just feel like, uh, you know, I love to see these highly rated kids come in and, and do well and, and get their minutes. Um, and I think it bodes well to get more highly rated kids. Not that Alabama's having any kind of trouble recruiting folks, but um, you know, if you stay here and you and you put your, you know, pay your dues, I think that um, you know good things will eventually happen. Jimmy, I know it's a little bit early for this, but I'm still going to do it. I'm going to go ahead and tell everybody about bird dogs. These bird dogs, these pet look, they make you look good. I'm going to show you, I'm going to show can, can you see these, Jimmy? I know they may be a little wrinkly, but they've been packed. I'm in Fort
1: Wayne, Indiana. And, um, see them, it it looked like ones I wear all the time. Uh, I
0: love these things. Uh, Bird Dog's stretch khaki shorts are designed to fit slimmer through the thigh and leg, giving you a truly sculpted look. And Lord knows we need to look sculpted. Bird Dog shorts do the exact same thing as Lululemon, but they fit way better and they're actually less expensive. They fit way better than regular shorts that are made of stiff, restricting cotton. Uh, you can, you know, wear these practically anywhere. I mean, they're 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 good looking, but they're also sort of laid back. So whatever you want to do. Go get you some bird dogs. I'm telling you, these things work so awesome. I can't stop wearing them. Go to birddogs.com slash locked on college, enter promo code locked on college for a free Yeti style tumbler with your order. That's birddogs.com slash locked on college for a free Yeti style tumbler. You will love these things. Um, and as I said, they are start. I got an email the other day. They're starting to sell polos, and uh, this is something new that they're doing. And uh, you want to go check those out because they look super cool. And I'm going to go get me some. On the next Locked On Bama, which will be tomorrow at some point, uh, we're going to be doing even more Jimmy Stein countdown stuff. Hopefully, fingers crossed, we got a commitment for somebody like a Grant Nelson. That'd be awesome. I know his visit went pretty well. Jimmy, if you want to just wrap up his if anything you've heard about his visit before we move on to Jaden Roberts, go ahead.
1: Yeah, uh, obviously he got the uh, the full court press. I guess is the best way to put it when you're talking about uh, how important Grant Nelson is to this program. Uh, look, losing Betty was a surprise, uh, that, that's from inside the program. They were as surprised as we were. Uh, they, they believed, uh, from conversations with, uh, with team Betty that, uh, he was only interested in leaving if he was going to be drafted. Uh, they did not believe he would be drafted. Uh, I've yet to see his name in any mock draft anywhere. Uh, I, I, I don't believe he's going to be drafted. Uh, and he left anyway. So that, that's, that was a real surprise to them. Uh. So, so now you're like you're, you're having to go to the portal a little, a little later than you would have liked. Had you known all along you needed a five, they would have been, you know, uh, talking to kids a, a while back. But here's the blessing that, that fell out of the sky. That's Grant Nelson, because not only is he a perfect replacement, he didn't get into the portal until until late. So Grant Nelson gets into the portal late about the same exact time Alabama starts looking and he's a perfect fit. Uh, and would be a great replacement. Again, a little different than Charles. Charles, a defensive specialist, need a little work on the offensive end. Grant, an offensive specialist, needs a little work on the defensive end. If these guys were as good on both sides of the court, then then we we knew Charles would have been going to the NBA, and Grant Nelson would have also stayed in the draft. Uh, obviously, they're they're not perfect just yet. But again, it's college. It's a developmental sport. Uh, we think Grant Nelson could make huge strides in Alabama's program, which is pretty good at preparing kids for the NBA, uh, as as we all know from the past two or three years. We got Brandon Miller and Noah Cloudy almost certain first round picks in uh, in this upcoming draft. So, uh, real interesting times for Alabama. Grant is supposed to leave Tuscaloosa today and head to Arkansas. Uh, if he does, it's hold your breath time. Uh, if he doesn't and says, I'm not going to make that Arkansas trip, we can uh, start really looking forward to basketball season around here.
0: Yeah, he is uh, he's a piece of work, man. I really like this kid a lot. I hope he ends up in
1: Tuscaloosa. So
0: let's talk a little Jaden Roberts right now. And I'm going to put a picture up, and the picture is going to uh, uh, be a little different because the only good picture I could find of Jaden Roberts to put up was him in this Auburn shirt with an Auburn <laughs> hat. Now. <laughs> You say, "Why is he doing that?" He's wearing that because he was committing to Auburn,
1: and yeah, I
0: flipped him. This is a monstrous human being.
1: This really is, is. a yeah.
0: tremendously big person, and I know that. Like among big people, he's a big person. He's like DJ Fluker, just like okay, he can be among other football players. And you're like, yeah, but he's he's different now. Jaden Roberts is. It, what do you think about him and his play-in time this year? I'm I'm ready for him to really burst on the scene.
1: Yeah, he really is. Well, he's up here at 58, which which doesn't sound super high, but when you consider all the players that are below him and some really good players, so you're talking about 31 players now below him on the ranking. So he's moving up. Uh, the big difference is, and it's interesting that we do Montel Goodwin, who's a reserve defensive lineman, and Jaden Roberts. A reserve offensive lineman. it's 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 funny that we're doing them back to back because monkel is probably not a guy we're going to see much of this fall uh because even though on the first team on, on the defensive line we play six or seven guys we rotate you don't have to be just a starter to get on the field we rotate w- w- with with some amount of depth monkel's probably just on the outside looking in here's jade roberts who is solidly solidly a second team player There's like no doubt. He he went into spring, second team right guard, left spring, second team right guard, Uh, almost a a, a stone cold lock to remain at that second team guard position in the fall. But we don't rotate on the offensive line. On the offensive line, the first team, tackle to tackle, plays the whole game until Nick Saban determines, okay game's out of reach, game's safe, we'll empty the bench. And then the second team offensive line goes in sort of late in the game. Jaden's going to be with that group this fall, uh, in terms of what, what, uh, what I'm projecting. And that means we'll see him play most weeks. It's, just going to be an end of game situation. The interesting thing about Jaden, much like Monkel is the opportunity that, 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 opens, you know, the, the doors open for him next spring, uh, because next spring, uh, Darren Dowcourt will have cycled out at offensive guard. JC Latham almost certainly going pro. So there's two spots open in the start of lineup right, right there. Don't count out Jaden Roberts from winning one of those spots. I'm not predicting that he will, uh, but I I will s- s- certainly assure you he's going to be right in the thick of it. He he he, he can play ta- he played tackle last year. He's playing guard this year. So there's some positional versatility there. Uh, Luke brought up Fluker. I think Fluker's a great comparison for him. Now he's sort of a DJ Fluker light uh, in the sense that I don't think he's quite Fluker, but he's a lot like him. And and if we if you guys remember. Before Fluker ended up being like the 11th pick in the draft, he was redshirted. As a matter of fact, he wasn't even with—he wasn't within a mile of being ready to play when he showed up. And then in year two, he was able to play, and he was just sort of fine. He still wasn't in as good a playing shape as he needed to be to be a, a, a great player in this league. Year three, boom, Fluker was absolutely ready and, and, and proved it with being the 11th pick in the draft. Now, Jaden Roberts, one year behind, right? Next year for him, next he's a 2024, that'll be year four for him. You know, everything clicked for Fluker in year three. Might be year four for Jaden Roberts. Like I said, not quite Fluker, but uh, he's a good player. Uh, if we had a rash of injuries, God forbid, I think he could play this ball and, uh, and, and, and be an okay. We would be okay with him. Uh, even this fall, even though he's not quite, I, I don't think, as good as he's going to get in college. But he's doing well. It was always going to take some time, like it does with most offensive linemen, like it did with fluke. So uh, I, I think he's on track to be a really good player at Alabama. Uh, now, just Monkel Goodwin, it's a matter of when does he get that opportunity.
0: Uh, Jimmy, I'm very sorry. I had uh, my Twitter handle and name up under your name the entire time for that. I just wanted credit for that.
1: Brilliant oh, soliloquy. Well, it could spearhead you all the way to a uh, locked on. Free teacher. Uh, locked on Smarter guy. Okay, there we go. Uh,
0: <laughs> uh, let's go ahead and take another break. When we come back, I just want to go into a flashback of an old Michigan State game. And we're back. It's ironic, Jimmy, that you're wearing green today because we are going to talk about Michigan State. Look, not everybody's going to get into this segment. I get it. But if y'all will hang with us, I think this is kind of fun. Alabama-Michigan State 2010, I think arguably, is Alabama's most dominant performance in any game of the Saban era. You want to talk Notre Dame National Championship? That one's certainly more high profile. Um, And that one certainly had its moments. 2010 Bama-Michigan State was it, – it was one of those games that could have been 80 to nothing. Now, Auburn 2012 in Tuscaloosa, Alabama beat the brakes off of them. It was never a contest, but that Auburn team had laid down. They were done. I don't include that one quite as much. Michigan State showed up that felt like they had a shot. In fact, I remember people thinking – you know, Alabama may not even come out to play very much just because they've got so many guys that are going to be going pro. But your buddies over at Own3, Tim Watts very wisely uh, put up the old – there was a very famous uh, message board thread from the Michigan State board about the game, and it just sort of showed how they went from having a little hope to being utterly uh, – Embarrassed, and then just frankly going into the fetal position. Um, it was really quite a, just an awesome thread. Anybody who's known three, I recommend you go check it out. But I mean, they are talking about um, like this is they're they're saying things like uh, Alabama has pros at every at almost every spot with five stars. We've got a bunch of two stars. Why is this even a college football game? <laughs> Somebody said um, – somebody actually said this – and this is back when Alabama was, you know, make their A quit. This is – a lot of people are going to love this. One of the posts was, this is what's wrong with college football and will never be on par with the NFL. Make that any college sport, as a matter of fact. A full team of five-star recruits against a team of two- and three-star recruits. I wonder who will win. What a surprise. Give a team yeah. salary cap, all first- and second-round picks, and put them up against fifth- and sixth-round picks and see what happens. I mean, that's just awesome. I mean, that's the kind of stuff that – that I, I, I miss that. I miss
1: – one of them – Michigan State. Michigan State was ranked, I think, seventh. Yeah. They're acting like like they had no chance, and they're a terrible team. They finished second in the Big Ten. They had ten wins and finished seventh or eighth in the country, and they're acting like that they're some high school team that was uh, forced at gunpoint to uh, march up and play against some uh, some you know the number one college team, who by the way had won no more games than they did. That's right. I think as a a matter of fact, when I, I remember now clearly. In that game, Michigan State went into it 10 and 2. Alabama went into it 9 and 3. Yeah, we were 9 and 3 because we
0: finished 10 and 3. Yeah, we lost Auburn, LSU, and South Carolina that year. And um, just some other little notes from it. One of them said, uh, I don't think, I think the Alabama punter took off his pads. The next guy said, he didn't even bring his pads. And one of them said, I think their punter is currently drinking around the world at Epcot. (laughs) Yeah.
1: which is so funny because the day before that game, I drank around the world at Epcot. Did you really? Yeah, uh it, the day before that game.
0: People were saying, "When does the mercy rule kick in? Time to put on a movie or something." Uh, yeah. Please just—they said now it's third and thirty-three miles. There were—I think they ended up with like big-time negative yardage on rushing.
1: Right. Um, let's well, see, we sacked the quarterback about fourteen times. Uh, here, here's another thing. Uh They played three or four quarterbacks at the end of the game. They were so sick of their quarterbacks getting hit that they ended the game with a receiver playing quarterback because they, they just were tired of, of their quarterback getting sacked. the, the starting quarterback that, uh, that had a very short day was uh Kirk cousins.
0: Yeah. The, that's the, the Kirk cousins who's making a gazillion dollars in the NFL right now, by
1: the way. Yeah. They um, took him out to basically protect his pro career.
0: I mean, uh, somebody said this is getting out of hand An Alabama defensive lineman just popped out of my TV and threw me for a 10 yard loss behind my couch. <laughs> I mean, it's just, it was just great stuff. I mean, those are the glory days. I mean that, and again, I love Alabama now. I love Bryce Young, love, you know, Jameer Gibbs, love, love Devonte Smith, all that stuff. But that was the time. I mean, That was before we knew what was coming down the tracks. It was
1: the birth. It was the birth, not of the Saban dynasty. The Saban dynasty had already been born. Yeah. But it was the birth of the completely dominant Alabama. Because let's be honest, I'm not trying to talk down that 09 national championship team in any way. They They were the national champions, the best team in college football that year. But the 09 team, half of the lineup was recruited by the previous regime. And while Saban did an incredible job of developing those guys into really good college football players, they wouldn't have been recruited by Nick Saban. I mean, I'm not going to name names, but there's (laughs) several guys in that 09 starting lineup that would not have been offered by Nick Saban and, and his staff. Now you move forward one year to 2010, virtually every single player on the team is now a Saban guy. Every one of them, part of that 08 class, the 09 class, even the true freshman, the 2010 class, that 2010 team was built by Saban for Saban. The problem that season is a lot of people don't remember well, but that team was absolutely beset by injury. There were multiple players hurt every single week. Uh, I remember one game when Trent Richardson, Mark Ingram and Eddie Lacy were all hurt. They all had to play Hurt. I think it was against Tennessee. First team, second team, third team running back. All hurt. I think Lacey had to play the most because he was hurt the least. Uh, I also think that was Marcel Darius played the whole season with a, with a high ankle sprain, and so did Courtney Upshaw. 2010 Michigan State was the first game that Darius and Upshaw both were healthy. That, that was the first game all year both were healthy. Look what happened.
0: Mm. I mean, and, you know, we we probably won't see a lot of performances like that anymore because they're going to be – I mean, now, I guess, ironically, Alabama did have a lot of guys play in the Sugar Bowl this year against Kansas State, but I would also argue that that, that 2010 team where you knew Julio Jones going round one, Mark Ingram's going round one, round two, um, Marcel Darius going round one, uh, God, they just had – that team had so many dudes. I, I could make the case that's the best team to never win a national championship.
1: I know that uh, Draker Patrick. See, we get so understandably focused on a final result, and I know what happened, and I don't want to rehash it. But Auburn was the national champions that year. Alabama led them 24 to nothing. And I know that we rightfully focus on what happened after that and, and, and the disaster. But let's think about that for a few minutes. Auburn was the best team in the country. They won the national championship. Alabama was beating them 24 to nothing. That's how good that Alabama team could be. But then we all know, like, with it's college football. Like General Mm -hmm. Neal in Tennessee said once, college football games are lost. They're not won. And then Alabama promptly lost the game more so than, 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 than Auburn just lined up and started, you know, punching us in the face. Uh, Alabama you know the Ingram fumble kind of started the, the comeback but uh, the whole point being that Alabama team when everything was rolling was absolutely dominant and uh, the Michigan State message uh, board to tell you that.
0: Yeah and I mean still the best scene from that was when Eddie Lacy breaks free as the third string running back for a long touchdown he's looking around like would one of you SOBs please tackle me so Nick Saban doesn't yell at me when I get back to the sideline? I mean, it it was uh, was pretty funny. I highly recommend everybody go check that out on YouTube. It's really one of the more fun games of the Saban era. Marquise Mays has a big touchdown. Julio Jones scores on a reverse, I think. Um, And that was Julio when Julio was Julio too. I mean, like Julio is sort of a shell of his former self now in the pros. I don't even know I don't think he's been
1: picked up yet. Um, yeah. boy, in that moment, people were like, "That dude's a dude's dude." So, yeah, McElroy also played really well that day, yeah. and people sometimes people forget McElroy was drafted. I think it was a seventh round draft choice, and I think by the end of 2010, that was sort of Greg McElroy at his best too. He had really developed into a guy that was going to get a shot in the NFL, and people forget that as well. Uh, but McElroy played really well that day too. Extremely efficient, something like. 14 out of 17 off the top of my head. All
0: right, buddy. That's going to do it for today's pod. We'll be back tomorrow with more
1: countdown stuff. Until then, roll tide, everybody. Roll tide.